and this is the art of less doing. I'm going to teach you how to optimize, automate, and outsource everything in your life, including your health, in order to be more effective. I want you to stress less, free up as much time as possible, and do the things you want to do. Hey, it's Ari Mizell. Welcome to the Less Doing, More Living podcast. Nine years ago, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease, a little-known, extremely painful, and seemingly incurable disease, which forced me to go down a long road of radical transformation so that I could reduce stress and win back a normal life for me and my family. While extremely painful, Crohn's was the best thing that ever happened to me because it forced me to innovate and create the less doing, more living system, which I used to govern my life. Then I was given the gift of starting to teach this system to other people. And over time, I was able to help more and more people through a video course, this podcast, and the Less Doing, More Living book. Now I have the privilege of working with some of the world's top business minds, including Dean Jackson, Joe Polish, Dave Asprey, and Jordan Harbinger, who have all decided to join me for the first annual Less Doing Live Summit that I'm holding in New York City from May 1st through 3rd. To get more information on the Less Doing Live Summit, you can go to the URL lessdoinglive.com. Or you can also find links to the event on our main site, lessdoing.com. Now, enjoy today's podcast. And if you listen to the end of the show, I am going to give you more information on this event, as well as a way you can earn a free copy of my book, Less Doing, More Living. Welcome back to the Less Doing podcast, episode 140. And I'm here with Felix. Hey, Felix. Hey, nice. How's it going? Good. Other than the fact that it is so ridiculously cold, um, I went swimming this morning with Ben in our in our building's pool for the first time, which was really nice. Nice. <laughs> yeah, so that's a nice way to start the morning. I feel like. Um, yeah. I felt so bad because we, you know, we went to Miami a couple weeks ago, and the kids loved it. And now, like every day, Ben is like beach, beach. So <laughs> really. So we we got on our bathing suits and we went down to the pool, and it was uh, it was good. It was fun. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, today's interview is with Jay Henderson, who is a, a guy who does, uh, he has a, a profiling system for hiring. And I, you know, I've talked to a couple experts in this field before, and I always find this kind of work so fascinating. But basically, he's the kind of guy who can tell you, you know, if somebody's going to be a good employee, or actually the right employee before you even hire them, and, and can save a lot of money and time in terms of training and uh, onboarding people. So it was a really, really cool interview. And it was a uh, a reference, a referral from Andrew James, one of our mastermind members, who's a, a great guy as well. So, but I got a bunch of links to share. So the first one is actually, this is funny. There's a couple ones that I have in here that are ideas that I had heard of or that, like, that either I came up with or a friend came up with a while ago. So I, I thought this was really cool. Okay. So the first one that I want to tell you about is, uh, actually it's an app that I think you're using now. It's called the French lunchbox. Yeah, I've got that installed, actually, yeah. So I, I only played with it a little bit, but you, can you tell us about it? Well, um, I was trying to, I was just opening it this morning, actually. I mean, it just basically gives you a new recipe each week for your for your lunchbox, right? Um, but it's beautifully done um, and um, very, very, very straightforward. I don't think there's any tweaking involved, do you? 
No, no. I mean, they're just it's just mm. gorgeous recipes. I'm curious why it's like why they do it weekly, but yes, yeah, true. But regardless, um, they're just these really like simple, beautiful meals. Like the one that they have on the on the example is uh, gougere with Gruyere and rosemary. And gougere is they're they look and they taste like they're something that's difficult to make, but they're so easy to make. Um, right, right. Basically, <clears throat> gougere is it's like a puff. It's just like a little puff ball. And it's a, mm-hmm. it's a basic dough that you just, they puff up with air and they fill it with this air. And you can fill them with cheese, you can fill them with cream. They're, it's really cool. So this is the first one that they have on their example. But just a nice little thing. And it's one thing, I feel like a lot of companies that want you to cook your own food, a lot of them focus on dinner. And this is focused on lunch. So I just thought this yeah. was pretty no, cool. I think, it's a good, I think it's a good idea. And I think they're also just trying to... Um I imagine, this is my guess, is that by just having one meal per week or one recipe that they're providing per week, and a sort of thing I like is that it's not information overload. You know, That's a good the, point, yeah. And I like the fact that it's just you know one thing in a way. My first thought was, oh, what's the next recipe? But, you know, at least um, there's no information overload. Yeah, no, I think that's a fair point, actually, because, you know, we, we've talked about this, of course, ad nauseum, but uh, and making decisions throughout the day is exhausting and it affects your willpower. And there are times when, you know, intelligent people like ourselves can just say, like, we just want to be led by the nose, you know, and just do what we're told, essentially. You know, so the yeah. recipe's coming, we're just going to do it, not even question it. I like it. So I, 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 there's, there's definitely a place for that kind of thing. So uh, the next one is something that I thought actually you might like. <laughs> I think I know what you're talking about. Go ahead. Really? Oh, it's the Keen. The Keen. Uh... Yeah, I'm just holding okay. it to Claire right now. Oh, that's so funny. Okay, so this this is really really interesting to me uh, as somebody who has a you know a background in green green real estate development. The, the Keen is a smart vent for your home. So anybody have seen you know when you have when you have a forced hot air system in your house to heat it or cool it, and you got that little vent in the floor. Typically, it's literally just a little tin or aluminum piece of nothing that's just there to sort of. It really, they, the, most of them honestly have no actual function. Yeah, they're basically there to stop you falling down it. Essentially, falling down a right. Now, can, can I just chime in because this yeah. is this is if you have a forced air system right. in your right. house, which typically in the UK I've never actually seen. Um, so, as far as I know, I mean, I haven't seen it anywhere else other than the US. There must be you know, all over the world, but I just haven't seen it. Oh, that's um, interesting. Well, why, Not in Europe, no. More often you have just, like, you have more radiators more often or something, is that? Yeah, that's right. And yeah. a lot of a lot of people in Europe don't even have air conditioning, right? That's right. Yeah. I mean, look, you just don't need it. But, um, but I really like the forced air system. Well, and so what, quick. What, well, anyway. right. and what this does is it allows you to control the vent in individual rooms. So without getting into a long discussion about how uh, HVAC systems work, uh, but they're, they're, you essentially have zones. And you typic- don't want to hear my long discussion about HVAC. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Go on. Um, and typically you don't have, you know, it may be, if you're, if you're not familiar with how this works, you might think that each room is its own zone, but that's typically not true. The problem with with having two zones like that is that, you know, on a second floor, you might have two bedrooms and a bathroom and closets and a hallway. And then you're only going to have the thermostat in one place. And a lot of times they'll put it in one of the main bedrooms or something. So the problem with that, of course, is that that bedroom will get really warm. And then the other rooms will get, won't get as warm because they won't reach that. So this is a really 
cool solution that allows you to put a smart vent in each room and control the airflow to each room very effectively. So, yeah, uh, really, it's a really, really great, great idea. Yeah. Um, and basically, you don't need to heat. You can automatically not heat or cool a room that you're not using. Right, so, exactly. So it really, yeah. really should help your efficiency. Yeah. Okay, so so this is this is the next one. that This is an idea that I had before. I thought this was really funny. Uh, so there's an article in the New York Times called Frozen Yoga. It's Snoga. <laughs> and uh, there is a company called Flow Outside that's based in Vermont, and they do yoga outdoors in the snow and uh i mean it's somewhat gimmicky sounding i guess but it's 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 just an interesting place to put it put put yoga into it and i guess in some ways you know if you're if it's cold out it's going to be a little harder for your muscles and things to get more supple and warmed up so it's not a bad idea what i found really funny about this is that i literally have in my Evernote, I'm going to see if I can find the actual note really quick while we're talking about this. So my wife used to really be into Bikram yoga, and mm-hmm. which is hot yoga for those who don't know. And uh, I, I'm not a huge fan, but it's like you're in a 104 degree room and you're doing yoga and you're sweating your your butt off. And uh, at the time when I did that, I thought, well, you know, there's there's benefits to cold as well, like cold thermogenesis and anti-inflammation and stuff. So what if you did this in cold? So I just found it. November 13th, 2011, okay, I have an Evernote note that says, Frozen Yoga, the anti-Bikram. Oh, yeah. So oh. I had this idea four years ago. <laughs> oh, it was your idea? Yeah, four, I mean, not that they stole oh, it from no, me, no. but I mean, I actually had this idea written down four years ago. Oh, wow. But I mean, if these guys are all, I mean, they're all, I'm looking at the photo here, and they're all, yeah, they're wearing all skiing gear. So, <laughs> so they're still, um, you know. They're, they're probably not cold. But it's, not, bit, this it's, not, a, it's not Bikram yoga. Right? This is a total gimmick. It's a total, total gimmick. But uh, I just thought that the idea, I just thought it was really funny. I think, I think it's, a, it's a good way to, to, to do some exercise outside with some other people. That's, um, you know, when you're surrounded by snow. So, but, but yes, yes, a, a basically a gimmick. It's a good way to exercise when you're surrounded by snow. <laughs> you make it sound so much better. Uh, so, okay. Uh, the next one is called uh, Bags VIP. So this is another one that is an idea. So Nick Sonnenberg, who's been on the podcast a few times, he had this idea. Literally, like, three months ago, he was like, this would be such a cool idea. So it's called Bags VIP. And what they do is they will, when you travel, when you fly, they will pick your bags up at luggage at baggage claim and deliver them to your home or your office or your hotel. So oh, it, really? yeah, so this is this is an interesting interesting That's little nice. right. So basically, what this means is that you can check your bags and whatever, and then you don't have to wait for baggage claim. You can just. Get off the plane. You can go wherever you're going. <laughs> that is that's great. I mean that that require, that that's giving a lot of faith in the uh, in the service because uh, but that's great. A really clever idea. Yeah. Okay. So this is so this is what I found interesting about this. First of all, it's not bad. It's it's fifty bucks for up to eight bags, which is really good. If you want to just do one bag, it's thirty bucks, and that to me doesn't that doesn't seem so good. But but so three to eight bags is fifty bucks, and I'm thinking. One, if you're with kids, this is amazing, right? So you can just check all your stuff, get there, and don't have to worry about anything. Just get the kids in the car and get home, right? Yes. That, that's one. But another one is, let's say you're, like, one of the things that I usually do when I travel is I keep my travel schedule very tight 
to when I actually have to be somewhere because I don't like, you know, I, I like to be gone from home as little as possible. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I've been known to take double red eyes, basically, just to go to the coast and back in 24 hours or so. So in that situation, if you want to get to the airport and you have to go right to a meeting or something, you know, you can't stop at your hotel, you whatever it might be, this is another great solution. They can take your bags and take them to your hotel or to your office or wherever it might be. Yeah, I think it's a really it's a great thing, and uh, this one is on demand. They said that a lot of companies that do this kind of thing, you have to do it in like way in advance and specially pack them. But this is they they get your chuck chucked luggage the same day and deliver it within a hundred miles of your accommodation, so you can take care of what really matters to you. So uh, I think this is a very very cool service. Wow, yeah, that's impressive. I like it. And, you know, you think about, too, like, maybe you have, if you have golf clubs, maybe you have some large, maybe you have a bunch of car seats. You know, like, we had three car seats when we went to Miami. This would have been a really nice thing to do. Yeah. Maybe my windsurfing gear. <laughs> well, they show they show a, uh, yeah, a, yeah. Snow, a snowboard. So, you know, why not? Yeah, right. That's great. And it always takes longer for that to come out, anyway. Of course, because that has to go to the yeah. oversized crap. So, yeah. um, anyway, I, lo- I love that. And, and the, the website is called Make Travel Easier. I thought that was really fun. Uh, yeah. Uh, okay, so the next one is called the Book Video Club, and this is pre-launch, so I don't, I haven't gotten to try it yet. But <clears throat> we, you, know, you know, we've talked about Blinkist before. You know, where you get the the book summaries. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. So Blinkist, I love, and it's uh, uh, Blinkist gives you summaries of books for those who don't know. And there's also like Get Abstract. There's all sorts of companies that do these written summaries of business books so that you can sort of be in the know. This does video summaries. So it's a four-minute video, basically, about a four-minute video. And what's really cool, too, is that it's a visual. I mean, it's audio and it's visual. So they're actually doing, like, those those, uh, real-time sketches, you know, where they're, like, drawing on a blackboard, drawing out what they're talking about. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So you can watch a video summary of these books. So you can really... Like, for example, I, I don't learn very well from reading. It's just something that's always been a problem. For, well, it's always been something I've been aware of. But if I watch a movie, I, I can remember it forever. Like, it, you know, Anna always like yeah. talks about how... And there's certain information that works particularly well. I find that with, 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 like, cooking recipes. I could watch, like, the Food Channel and watch someone prepare something. And I could remember that, you know, for, for quite a while. Yeah. Whereas, you know... You yeah, some people some people are just visual learners. learners. Yeah. So uh, this is a really cool way to do it, and um, you know, a lot of people a lot of people tend to like unwind or take a break, or maybe they'll take <clears throat> you know a Pomodoro break, for instance, and, and watch a video or like watch a TED talk or you know a part of it. This is great. Mm-hmm. You can like you can catch up on a book that you need to be aware of. So I love this idea. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah. Um, okay, so the next one is called Mail Lift, and this is yet another handwritten letter service. But this one is focused more on sales professionals, so it actually has an integration with Salesforce, which is, you know, most people should be aware of Salesforce is one of the top uh, customer relationship management services, and you can issue handwritten letters, and it's it, it's really cool. You know, there, there's we've talked about these kinds of services before. They're actually, these are actually handwritten, and it can make a big impact on sales. For instance, if you have a sales call and then you follow up with a handwritten letter, thanking them and telling them whatever it might be. So just one more service. I don't have too much more to say on that, but I just wanted to share that with people. I, I think that these kinds of services are a great thing. Yeah. Um, okay. The next one 
is called, uh, where is it? There, Streams. So I have been on the hunt for a while. This is the closest thing I can find, but there's, there used to be a service called Hojoki, and, and it turned into Catch App, and then it's then it, 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 they closed down. And I'm not sure, honestly, why another company has not taken up the slack on this, because it seemed like such an obvious idea. Basically, what it did was it, it connected to your... Uh, your Evernote, your Dropbox, Google Drive, like pretty much every cloud service you can imagine, including Gmail and everything. And for one thing, you could search for for among all those places from one interface, which was really nice. But it also yeah. gave you a daily digest of everything that had happened in those different places, which is okay. which is really great. You know, so you could be like, oh, John F. edited, you know sales production file in Google Drive and Sally uploaded a new file to the Dropbox folder and you know the more and more stuff we do in the cloud it, it was a really nice thing and I, I'm not I'm not really sure why it went away I mean obviously they weren't making money but it uh, I don't know why nobody's sort of taken up the slack on that so this service seems like the closest one I've found yet it's called Streams and basically you can you can plug in all those services and it gives you this this stream this primary stream of all your newest emails, documents, calendar events, and so on and so forth. So if you're working in the cloud, I think a service like this is, is almost essential. So you can search everything within those those cloud so, services. Right? So this one doesn't seem to have the big search functionality yet, at least, but it does at least give you this this sort of stream of all the things that are happening in all of your different cloud services. Uh, it does, okay. does give you that sort of overview, which which is important, which is helpful. Oh, do you use? Um, um, I know you're used to use Cloud Magic. Is, do you still use that? Cloud Magic. Do, do, does Cloud Magic exist anymore either? Because I think that one. I went, think it just exists as an app, but I'm not certain. Huh. Um, because I was I was really getting into this. I actually had to. It's one of those few times where I really had to do my own research. And oh, yeah. Cloud Magic. No. So the. Cloud Magic has changed. That was what happened. Cloud Magic is now basically just an email service, so you can manage your various email, but not not, oh. not, not all the cloud services. Oh, really? I see. I see. Yeah. Oh, so, that's too bad. Yeah, it is. It's it, it's um, it's kind of annoying, but so anyway, Streams is is close. I think. Um, okay, so now there was a, there's a new service called Process Street. And we've talked about these kinds of services before as well. There's like sweet process and things, and these help you write down processes. So, you know, we've talked, you know, less doing the, one of the big tenets of less doing is creating the manual of you and identifying the processes that you go through in daily life and how you can, uh, you know, optimize, automate, and outsource them, of course. So the, I, I put all my processes for the most part into Evernote, and then I can share those with whoever I need to or whatnot. This is another service that allows you to write down a process, and it's it's very rich and multimedia. So you can create checklists, you can add things like video, images, uh, any kind of content you want, and then you can also publish and embed those checklists. So as far as like working with virtual teams or something, I think this is actually a really great way to capture all of your standard operating procedures. So you can tell somebody, look, you know, you're brand new on the job, but this is how we do social media. This is how we pay bills. This is how we uh, post to the blog. This is how, you know, the podcast process, whatever it might be. So it's a good way. I think this is a good way to sort of lead people through the, the, the steps of creating a optimized process. Yeah. That, um, yeah, that is, don't tell my wife about that. She'll make stuff for 
everything I do. <laughs> he wants me to do. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, like what I what I mean by that is uh, is I forget everything she tells me, and uh, and I need it written out. So uh, so that might be very useful. Yeah, yeah. there you go. Wow. Uh, All right. Okay, so uh, I got two more. Um, so then this last one, or second to last one, is called Adam Wise. It's better medicines faster. And basically, it's using the power of big data and machine learning to discover safer, more effective medicines more quickly. And basically, what it's saying is the, you know, the average drug or average medicine takes about $1.8 billion to develop and 15 years to get to market, which uh. is just crazy. Uh, so this is basically pulling in the power of a lot of data and a lot of machine learning to effectively, I think, in, in some parts of it, at least test things a lot quicker and in a lot more iterations. And uh, I think these kinds of services are going to become more and more numerous. And it's a great – so this is not something that anybody who's listening to the podcast necessarily go and like sign up for. But if you work with a company or maybe a, a foundation that deals with particular illnesses, this is the kind of service that you can work with to help hopefully maybe find better solutions to what's going on. Interestingly enough, one of the things that this made me think of is, have I talked to you before, Felix, about the LD50 number? I don't think so, no. Okay, so this is really fascinating. So LD, the LD50 is the, it's the lethal dosage, basically, that will kill 50% of a population. Okay, so this is, you take any substance, and every single substance, pretty much, has an LD50 mm-hmm. to it, even water. So this is like, how much of this would you have to give to a group of people so that it would kill 50% of them? That is the LD50. Okay. So the LD50 of, uh, of water, for instance, is six liters. So if you, take 50 pe- if you take 100 people in a room and you give them all six liters of water, 50 of them will die. 50% of them will die. Oh, sorry, sorry, yeah. Well, sorry, yeah, because it's a hundred people. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, so uh, it, I mean, there's it, they have this for coffee, for caf- uh, for Tylenol. Uh, for, I think for Tylenol, it's like five grams. Or oh, something. lethal dosage, obviously. Yeah, yeah. So everything pretty much has an LD fifty, and okay. uh, but some of this you really can't test, you know, because you, you, I mean, of course, you can't just take a group of people and you know, give them all a whole buttload of Tylenol and see like who it kills. So, but the, I don't know. This just made me think of it. That's an interesting thing to, uh, to, to put like a machine on, for instance. And oddly enough, like there are substances where they can't necessarily find it. Uh, for example, like, uh, I think LSD, you actually can't, you, they've never found like an overdose amount on LSD, which is kind of odd to think that. But uh, right. same yeah. thing with same thing with marijuana. I don't think you can actually overdose on marijuana, and um, yeah, but you can with water. Funny thing about that, by the way. So it would take 118 cups of coffee to kill 50 percent of the population because of the caffeine. But the, okay. the, but the funny thing about that is that. Uh, <laughs> Coffee, uh, coffee is you know like ninety seven percent or ninety eight percent water, so you die you would die because of the toxicity of the water before you got to the toxicity of the caffeine. <laughs> but I mean, you're you're basically drowning by by that much water, right? Well, so what it does is you it, you get something called hyponatremia, which is where you have an extremely low amount of salt. Basically, you're you're basically diluting the, uh, the electrolytes in your body to the point that you can't sustain yourself. 
Oh, I see. Well, yeah. And, and you your see, body and, can't process it. They can't pee that fast, basically. Is that what it is? Right. And and you you see that, believe it or not, in a lot of uh, in marathons, you tend to see that. So people will just be chugging water the entire time they're going along, and then yeah. they and then they they get to the finish line and they become hyponatremic. And it's not like they're dead automatically. It doesn't work that way. You, you know, you can rehydrate them with uh, electrolytes and stuff. But uh, a lot of people just try to like hydrate, hydrate, hydrate. You really can't overdo it. Really? Yeah. Wait, you said with electrolytes. I mean, it's, does, should you would if they were drinking electrolyte water, would that not happen? Uh, it would, right. So that would be, that would be better. Yes. Because then you're going to be getting the salts, but there is still a limit to how much of that liquid your body is going to be able to process out without okay. diluting your blood. Yeah. yeah. Huh. So, I mean, like when I was doing Ironman, I was hit, I was drinking these things that were, I mean, you could barely call them like water. It was so much like concentrated. I actually, sorry, when I was doing Ironman, I was taking salt pills every half hour, like pure salt pills. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, so just that was yeah. like to avoid muscle cramps and stuff. And uh, if you're in the heat, you tend you can do that like every 15 minutes even. Yeah, my dad did that in the army as well. So. Right. Yeah. 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 Okay. So the last one is an article on Information Is Beautiful, which is just a data visualization site for you know infographics basically. And uh, it's uh, it's an article about mindfulness meditation and. I've talked about Buddhify before. I'm a big, big fan of mindfulness meditation. I have been doing it pretty much every day for the past two months now. And it's the first time in my life I've been able to consistently meditate and really see a benefit from it. And mindfulness meditation is basically a adaptation from Buddhism for the most part. But what it's doing really is you're focusing on being mindful, being aware of what is going on in your life and what is happening around you and asking the question pretty often, like what is happening right now in terms of external and internal forces. And, uh, it's, it's great. I love it. And what I love about it particularly is that I can do it while I'm walking. I can do it while you're doing the dishes. I can do it in so many different settings. So, uh, this was, uh, just talking about the different benefits and some of the things are like greater empathy and compassion, increased self-control and willpower, it alters your brain structure. They've actually shown how this can, meditation can physically alter your brain structure to help with all sorts of these things. Boost the immune system, better concentration. Yeah, all sorts of great benefits to meditation and mindfulness. So it's a great graphic worth looking at if you uh, if you have the time. And on that note, you know how you've asked me before how I have so few apps? Yes. So I've, I went kind of nuts, and I've been on, like, I've been trying to... Um, to get as lean as possible with my apps. So I have one folder now on my, on my screen, okay. uh, on my iPhone. And I have one, two, three, four, five, six. I have seven, like seven, uh, I guess swipes or six, six, uh, pages to that folder. Half of them are Apple apps that I can't get rid of. So I basically have, let's see, I have 12 apps installed on my phone right now. Oh, really? Wow. Just 12, yeah. And I keep trying to get rid of more and more. And one of the ways that I do that is by using, like, web apps instead, for example. Like, I don't have the Uber app on my phone anymore. I just go to m.uber.com, and I have that saved as a bookmark. Right, right. But uh, one, of the, one of the biggest apps on my phone was Bootify, which I use every day, and I love it. So I didn't want to get rid of it, but it, it's, like, a 400-megabyte app. So I got rid of it. And I actually so, so so what's it, sorry what's it called Bootify 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 B U D D I F. Oh. So uh, 
I, I wanted to get rid of it. So I found a podcast that is a daily meditation, a daily mindfulness meditation podcast. So now instead of having the app, I just have the daily podcast that, that comes in and that's, that's where I have it. Uh, really? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then I also got rid of the yoga app that I was using, which was Yoga Fit Star, which I liked. And that there's a daily yoga app that, that I found that the, the guy does like a 15 to 20 minute yoga video app, uh, yoga video uh, podcast. And so it's there. So now I have like 20 podcasts in my podcast feed, but, uh, you know, much, much leaner on the phone. So cool. <laughs> That's really impressive, yeah. Well, thank you. Uh, so that's it. So that's all the links for this episode, and uh, let's get. To well, the well one you should, you know, you should just go ahead and quickly tell us what your twelve apps are on your phone. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fine. Okay. So I have. Uh, that's a good question. Good point, actually. Dropbox, Evernote, Feedly. Inst- oh, so these are only not you know apps that are not Apple apps, of course. Um, Dropbox, mm-hmm. Evernote, yeah. Feedly, Instagram, Facebook. And Facebook Messenger, Casts, Peak, Skype, If This Then That, Bill Guard, Kuda Sign, Prime Now, uh, uh, Talkspace, Amazon, Valet Anywhere, Blinkist, Fitstar, Twelve Minute Athlete, Bank of America, Slack, City Mapper, Ship, and uh, Pandora. There you go. So, um, wow, what, uh, hmm, I'm going to ask you about those. Well, what's Blinkist <laughs> or whatever? Blinkist we talked about before. Remember, that's the, the book summary app? Oh, the book summary, of course. Um, oh, there are a few in there. Anyway. Yeah, um, well, we can review. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. But, um, all right, well, thanks, Felix. Let's get to the interview. That was a good one. Cool. Okay. See you then. And now for feature interview. So now I'm speaking with Jay Henderson, who is the founder and owner at Real Talent Hiring and Development. So Jay, thank you for taking the time to speak to me. Uh, Glad to be here. Thank you. So what is Real Talent Hiring and Development? Well, we're a company that um, helps uh, bosses know exactly who it is that they're uh, trying to make a hiring decision about. You know, there's just too many variables. People are so complex, right? So there's so many variables in trying to determine whether a person is a right fit for a role or whether they should be hired or not. And uh, that's what we do is we reveal to bosses how people think and how they make decisions so that they uh, make sure they're making the best decision. So is this kind of, you know, like somebody comes in for a job possibility and it, it maybe they'll ask some question with this, like you have to go see Jay and then we'll talk. <laughs> yeah. It, it's kind of like there's a, uh, it's sort of like that, but, but there's a, uh, an online software, uh, that the boss would send, uh, the candidate through and there's a 15 minute exercise online and, uh, it, there's no questions. It's actually a thinking uh, exercise and it's kind of, kind of like a task, you know, like if you were to, if you were to do a, a half day work interview or something like that, right. Or a 90 day work interview, um, with someone and you would hopefully in that time frame be able to determine really whether the person's a good fit or not, and whether they're going to work out or not and how they'll perform. Um, and that's what really I provide for people in 15 minutes. 
because when they go online and complete this exercise, they're basically revealing how they think and make decisions, which then turns into a predictive analysis of uh, really what you've got in that. In, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, just in that candidate. Okay. So. And, and, and what's your methodology? So it's basically a, a values-based science, you know, um, how, how people value, how they value what we call the three core decision-making dimensions that exist in the universe. And if you look at any business, really, it's made up of, of, of three things primarily. It's made up of people that are doing tasks and following systems. And ultimately, that's what the business is, right? So what we do is using uh, linguistics uh, and kind of objective mathematics, we're able to identify how people value, how they you know, how they prefer to pay attention to these dimensions. And it's not something that's like, well, today I, I prefer to pay attention to it this way and tomorrow I'll pay attention to it that way. You know, it's more like this is based on really who they are and how they always pay attention to these three dimensions and simplifying it as people, task, and systems. But it's a lot more in-depth than that. So, so what... I mean, can you give us some examples of, you know, not, you said they're not questions, but exercises. Can you, could you give us an example? Yeah, uh, it's a pretty weird, uh, it's a pretty weird exercise. So basically there are, eight, yeah, <laughs> there are phases and uh, on two different pieces of paper. So 36 total, right? So, but first the person would go through the first page and they would uh, rank order these items from best to worst according to themselves. And it's not, it's not asking them to, you know, how do you, uh, how important are these to you? That's not what the, that's not what the exercise is. It's actually saying, put these in order from best to worst, according to you. So your, your question is what, what are some of them? And so the example is that, uh, you know, you've got 18 items, words or phrases on two different pieces of paper and there are, uh, so there's 36 total. So you take page one. And you look at those 18 items, words or phrases, and you're asked to put those things in order from best to worst, according to you. And uh, when you do that, you're basically revealing how you value these three core decision-making dimensions that I was talking about. But as example, some of the items are a baby, um, a prophet or holy person, buy this ring I thee wed, love of nature, um, and then, so there, there's the positive side of all these items, and uh, and then it starts to get kind of like gray, grayish. You like well, nobody would care, you know. I don't really care whether you know how to rank this item, right. uh, but then it gets really. That's when it starts to get really weird, where where it gets sort of intense. Uh, so because there has to be a number one, right, which is one of the best items on the page, and there has to be an 18, which would be the worst item on the page. So there are items there that are what we might hopefully consider negative, like uh, torture a person in a concentration camp, blow up a jet airliner in flight, poison the drinking water, uh, and, and really weird things like that, that, that really kind of, these items kind of squeeze the person into making a decision about what they think is the best item on the page. And again, we were talking about earlier, you know, we use linguistics and, and these, these items to reveal the order in which you rank item, rank order these things to reveal how you think and make decisions. It's really unique. 
now obviously if somebody ranks the uh, poisoning the drinking water or something higher then they don't get hired i'm assuming <laughs> well you know we we look at um we, we you look at it in total there's actually believe it or not there's 6.4 quadrillion possible ways it can be ranked so it's really extraordinarily in depth this is a lot more than a two-dimensional piece that requests you know uh, this person's kind of this kind of a type, you know, like they're a dominant or they're an influencer or they're steady or they're compliant uh, or they're, you know, or they're a fact finder or they're a, uh, a quick start or, you know, those are good things to know. Uh, but this gets really deep into, um, again, how the person thinks and makes decisions. Because we know that what, what we see in people, right, is their behavior, obviously. So we see their behavior and then we see their results but we don't see everything that came before the behavior. And 90% of the approaches measure everything that happens after a decision has been made, where what we measure is everything that happens before the decision is made. Well, but now with, with an examples like you've given there, isn't it possible for people to sort of game the system a little bit and they can't, you know, couldn't they say like, oh, of course, like I should rank this high and, you know, or what? Well, because there's 18 items on, in that one section, you know, there, there's that little universe where they have to, because, you know, once they get one, three, four, five, six, seven, eight ranked, then there's only the rest of them left. So now they're forced to only choose between what is there. You'd, you'd think people could game it, but actually it can't be gamed. And the reason is because uh, they really don't know what people, they, they really don't know what the system is trying to measure and learn about them. So like if they, they might think they know what it's trying, but they don't. Um, and so they don't know what the items are. They don't know what it's trying to figure out. Like that's the value of not having any questions in the entire exercise, right? So because there are no questions with the same multiple choice, it's easy to read and identify what is trying to be measured about the person. But with this weird exercise here, you know, they just end up, people try to figure it out, but they end up ultimately shrugging their shoulders and saying, man, I don't know what this is trying to do with me here. So they end up just being who they are. And the other thing, Ari, is if they do try to game it, there are statistical row scores in the system that tell us how far outside, you know, the millions and millions of other profiles that the result is. And when I see that, then I tell a boss, listen, you know, they tried to game it or they didn't understand it or something like that. You know, let's give them a, a second shot at it just to give people the benefit of the doubt. Right. So. I see that. And, and that makes sense. It, it's, it's funny because it just makes me think of this episode of Law and Order SVU. And I, I don't mean to make this comparison, but it just made me think of it. And I think it was a good example. Um, one of the cops was going undercover to try to infiltrate a a, a pedophile ring or something and basically there was a test that the parole officers were giving and the cop is is going like he's getting briefed by a psychiatrist and he's like i i know how to do this you know i've been doing this for years and he's like no you don't you don't know what this test is and he's like yeah i do he's like you know obviously i say i like the, the pictures of the little boys and i say i don't like the pictures of the girls and he's like no that's not how it works that's nothing to do with whether you say yes or no or like it or don't like it it's how long you take to look at each picture <laughs> wow <laughs> that's awesome so, and it's I mean, sort of what you're saying too it's like you don't you know if you don't know if you don't know the parameters then yes it's very hard to game the system you kind of need to understand what you're doing or what you're playing in order to game the system 
Right. And, you know, uh, just with this, it's this. first of all, this is most tools are subjective in the entire approach as to how they reveal information about a person. It doesn't mean they're not accurate, right? Uh, it just means that accuracy is affected when there's subjectivity in the process. And in this process that we utilize, there is no subjectivity. Um, it's not based on subjective item. It's based on concrete, mathematical, objective, scientific metrics. And when the person is completing it, they don't know what it's trying to reveal about them. And they're not, as, they're not answering questions at all, but they're specifically not talking about themselves. Right. So they're, they're definitely doing a task that is about themselves, or I should say it, it's, it's their task, right? But they're not answering questions about themselves or trying to talk about themselves. So there's a lot of reasons for, for it not being gamed or fooled. But, and how'd you, how'd you get into this? So I, um, I, in 19, this is a long time ago, I'm going to date myself here a little bit, but in 1986, there was a, a, a guy named Stephen R. Covey who put out an audio tape series called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, right? And in 1989, the book was published, and I found it in the bookshelves uh, of the store, and I decided to work for Covey. So I, I ended up, uh, two years later, working with Dr. Stephen R. Covey. Um, at the Covey Leadership Center, and I was there for several years, ran the central United States for them, and then uh, I decided, I found out about another company down the road that was really deep into some stuff that I was very interested in, which was using principles of the research from sports psychology. You know, how do people learn, and how do they translate that learning into performance? I was really a big human performance kind of geek, you know? And so, uh, I left Covey Leadership Center and went to that other organization. And when I went there, the CEO made me go through this exercise. And, um, and so I got hired. And then, uh, three months later, the, the worldwide guru of the science, Wayne Carpenter is his name. Um, he, uh, came out to Utah there where we were all working and, uh, he trained us all in the system. That was about 19 years ago, 20 years ago. So that's, that's how it happened. And, and how much of this is up for interpretation on the part of, you know, you, the practitioner, or, I mean, is it, you know, they do this assessment and then, and then what happens? So the, the system has been refined. It's an 80 year old science. Okay. And, um, uh, it, it called? I mean, yeah, it's called axiometrics, A X I O metrics. So that's value metrics. Um, and, and, and the system, um, it was nominated for a Nobel Prize in 1973. Mm -hmm. um, and the gentleman, Wayne Carpenter in Nashville, Tennessee, who's my partner, uh, and uh, he has spent the last 40 years of his life, uh, you know, refining the mathematics and, and uh, building the system so that when people go online and complete it, right, it, it, it drives out a report. And um, really, uh, the, the system is... 90% of it, of course, being able to rely on the math. I mean, you, the numbers don't lie, right? So, um, and then my interpretation is a big piece of it when I'm working with my clients. You know, there's either a lot of training that they get in order to interpret or there's my interpretation. So, yeah, I've been doing this again 19 years. And uh, so there's, there's definitely some interpretation involved, but the, but the reports, there are over 300 reports. A person can complete this exercise one time and we can run over 300, 400 reports. Now, there's no need to do that. I'm just indicating the, the breadth, right, of what's possible from management, leadership, sales, customer service, general employability, 
all kinds of risk analyses. We've even gotten into sports. You know, um, the New York Yankees put out a need for a uh, a tool of this nature, and they had three sports psychologists. And the three sports psychologists, uh, one of them was named Tom Hansen. He's a sports psychologist out of Tampa, Florida. He was working with the New York Yankees. He's a friend of mine. And he found the system, and uh, the New York Yankees ended up contracting with us for two years and and uh, sort of didn't use the sports psychologists anymore, but used this system entirely in order to measure the New York Yankees. So there's it's a, it's a lot of background. The science is real, and it, it works. Now, can, can you have somebody come in for a job? And obviously, you could say, okay, well, this person's just not a good fit for this organization. Or, or could you have, but could you have somebody come in who's looking for like a marketing job, and you say, you know what, this person would be actually be terrible at marketing, but they'd be a really good salesperson. Yeah, and it depends on the definition of how you're defining uh, sales and marketing, right? So, but de- but definitely, yes. There's there's nuances to it, of course. There, it's not you know black and white. Um, there there's a lot that has to be looked at, and of course, we're talking about people's lives, right? So we try to be as as uh, judicious as possible in in making these kinds of decisions. And you know the 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 EEOC will only allow an organization, a company, to use a data like this for up to 30% of a hiring decision. So uh, all that said, though, yeah, there, there's, there's when, when I get on the phone with a boss who's making a hiring decision, they basically tell me, here's exactly what we need and what we're looking for. And then we discuss what is revealed and what the boss thinks the fit will be based on what was revealed from the science. Okay, I see. Well, I mean, it also, I mean, it sounds like this would be really useful, really powerful in, in terms of deciding between two candidates or more than, you know, one candidate for a particular position. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's extremely helpful. The thing of it is, uh, you know, most people don't have a, a PhD in behavioral science, right? So when they're going through that whole hiring and interviewing process, they really, at the end of the day, do not know what they have in a person. And, um, you know, they're just doing their best, which is understandable. Uh, so what I like to tell people is that, you know, this is an, again, I know I've said it before, but because it's an objective mathematical measure of how a person thinks and make decision, makes decisions, you have in front of you now data that you couldn't have gotten any other way, right? So it's just, I like to tell everyone when you're in the hiring process, your goal is to gather as much data as you possibly can and remove gut level instincts and emotion as possible, as much as possible. I mean, you know, to gather as much data as you possibly can and, and therefore you can use all that data to kind of make the best possible decision. But you need reliable data, you know, and it's got to be deeper than just a two dimensional behavioral metric of what they're sort of like. And, Go ahead. How, do, how does this compare to like disk profiling? Yeah. So, you know, disk is uh, a great tool and uh, I think bosses should use it um, even if they're using mine and uh, because, because they measure behavior, right? They measure at a, at a different level than we do. We measure everything before the decision and up to the decision and the way people make decisions, how they perceive how they analyze, how they associate what they're seeing and perceiving in the world with how they think and make decisions. And then they socialize 
that decision by taking action. So the DISC measures more of the behavior side, the socialized side, right? What happens? How does this person, the DISC is dominant, influencer, steady, and compliant, right? So um, it's just trying to identify how these people, what their basic personality is like and their type. And, and again, this is measuring everything before the decision is made. And the disc is measuring Motivation stuff for, to some extent too, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. The, why, why they made the decision they made. That's what we measure. You're identifying what drives people. It sounds like. And, and even deeper than that. Yes. It's, it's how they emotionalize things. It's how they see things. It's how they interpret things. It's the level of impulsivity. It's their ability to see what's relevant when things get complex. It's competencies and skills as managers, leaders, salespeople, whatever role they're playing, CEOs, COOs. So we get very deep. You know, we're working with very, very large organizations with this system at very high levels where there's uh, objective empirical benchmarking that we do on specific roles. So that they're hiring, you know, really based on true objective data about how people perform in that role. Uh, and we can reveal. So, so the, in fact, that's a great example when you bring up the disc. You know, there's um, one company that we're working with, which everybody would recognize. It's a, it's a large hospitality chain based in the United States. Uh, they were getting, they said they were blocking two and a half out of every bad high, out of every 10 bad hires. Uh, before we came along using a behavioral metric. And uh, we came along and started immediately blocking seven and eight out of every 10 bad hires, according to them, right? So they said, we're now hiring people we never would have hired before. And we are turning away people we would have hired before based on your data. And they found that training time was cut in half, that time from onboarding to performance was cut significantly, and that people were performing right out of the gate. And these are people that they never would have hired before. You know, there's that, there's that X factor that some people have that you just can't see because they might not be, they might not look like they fit. Their resume may not have that background. Uh, They may not be pretty or well, well well-spoken and articulate, right? Which is so influential today. Uh, But when we can really get into how people think and make decisions, we can reveal the real talent that is there. So have, are you able to quantify the, the savings that you, I mean, because you're saving people time and probably a lot of money in, in wasted time training and investing in, in employees that then don't work out. So, I mean, are you able to figure out some sort of quantification of what you're, you're providing? Yeah, obviously it's a great question because it's not easy to do, right? So if you turn someone, if you turn someone away, you know, you don't really, you don't really know, Right. Um, what they would have been like and, 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 and what kind of catastrophes they might have brought into your life <laughs> or, how mu- or how great they might have performed to be positive. Um, but yes, w- uh, we had uh, an organization called HCCA and they were at one time the largest nurse recruiting firm in the world. And uh, in 2008, when um, the economy crashed, uh, there were some serious uh, I- uh, problems with bringing people from out of the country into the United States. And it almost took that, in fact, it nearly did take them completely out of the business, out of business, but they just changed strategy and, and became and focused differently. But they said we saved, um, um, I think it was $4.8 million in six months. Uh, after a couple of years of working with us, they were able to look back and, and, and do those numbers. And they were able to do that because 
They knew what the cost per hire was. And in that case, it was extraordinarily high. It was unusually high, right? Because they were finding people from outside the country, training them, bringing them here, housing them and other things. So they had a really high cost per hire. Um, but, but they claimed significant savings. And then there is um, the other hospitality company I talked about. They said that we saved them $5 million in a year and a half. Um, and I have uh, hundreds and hundreds of, of small professional practice clients across the country, attorneys, doctors, lawyers, dentists. And uh, when I survey them, they, you know, the numbers they think are quantifiable in terms of uh, bad hires, you know, it's kind of all over the map, right? They all have a different opinion about what that is, although there are association-based statistics that are quantifiable. But, um, you know, you can't measure things like bad, you can't measure bad performance. You can't measure expensive mistakes. You can't measure, they just don't do it. They don't pay attention to it enough to, to, to do those metrics. You can't measure management's time when it comes to, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. So you've got a bad employee who's or a poor hire, poor fit, who's causing a lot of problems, and that's going to take up the leader and manager's time in order to deal with that, right? So now they're doing things they shouldn't be doing at all, and uh, they're fixing people's problems. Um, and then you've got how poor hiring decisions pollute the culture, because not only will a poor fit end up turning over, right, but they create turnover in others. So there's, there's those three metrics that are really tough to measure. It's easier to measure the recruiting cost and a training cost and a salary. Those things are easy to measure. But, so, but my professional practice clients claim that I save them about 90 grand a year on average, uh, some more and some a little less. And some even believe that, of course, because it's a better hire, then the performance is better. So they believe, you know, productivity is up and performance increases because the team is better. They work well better together. You know, good hires, they see things that others easily miss. They get along with others better and they team and they perform. So what happens is even in small businesses, when you can measure for risk and reveal risk on the front end and avoid the bad decisions, you, all, you automatically over time end up strengthening the organization right? Because just over time, you simply get better and better and better people. Yeah. Well, right. No, I mean, it makes total sense. So uh, do you, I mean, I, I know you've worked with so many thousands of people, but are, are there industries in particular that you see using your type of services a lot or is it just really across the board? Yeah, it's across the board. It really is. more, And, and in fact, more and more companies are starting to value this kind of measurement, right? I mean, so there's, there's laws around it. It's important to be humane, uh, and you know, um, but organizations striving to be profitable and in dealing with people being, uh, you know, lacking truthfulness in resumes. They're, you know, the people are trying to get jobs, and um, so who blame who blames them for that, right? But uh, not everybody's going to fit. You know, some problems just cannot be managed, and that, frankly, is what it comes down to. What problems um, that everybody brings to the table, right? What problems are we going to have to deal with um, with X person as it pertains to Y job, you know? So, Sure, of course. So, all right. Well, Jay, I mean, this has been fascinating, but the, the last question I always like to ask on these interviews is, 
what are your top three pieces of advice for people to be more effective? And you can interpret that however you like, but three pieces. Sure. Well, first I would say really raise your hiring standards. Okay. Uh, too many bosses get caught short because they're under pressure and they're in a hurry. They lose someone and all of a sudden there's all this work to do and they're, they're missing a body. And so they end up making a poor decision because not only do they not want to be taken out of their performance and productivity role, right? To all of a sudden, now I got to do all this hiring stuff that I didn't want to do. <laughs> you know, they don't necessarily love it, right? So I would say raise your hiring standards. Be sure that you don't get caught in the situation where you're in a hurry. And then when someone who walks in the door that supposedly looks the part, you know, we want to believe the best in people. I believe in the best in people. That's how I got into this is because I wanted to drive performance in people, okay? And, and access potential and get the best out of them because we know there's more in people than they're currently utilizing. So, uh, but, but we end up getting caught short because we are hoping that the person who's articulate, who seems enthusiastic, who, whose resume seems to fit, you know, is going to do the job. There's three questions you have to answer. Can they do the job, which is pretty straightforward. I, I hope we all get that one. <laughs> and then there's, will they do the job? And that's a little more difficult to, to ask ourselves because, frankly, how do you know if they will or will not prior to hiring them? And that's what we reveal. The third part is, uh, will they do the job for you? We've proven that just because someone can do a role well for, for one company doesn't at all translate into doing that well for you. There's just too many other variables, different leadership styles, different leaders, different systems, et cetera. So, so first would be raise your hiring standards. Second would be really slow down. There's that old, there's that old thing about, you know, hire slow, fire fast. Um, there's a pretty straightforward hire for attitude, right? Um, fire for performance. Um, and then I would say when you're in the interviewing process, do what they call four level deep questioning. You know, don't, don't accept the first answer people give you when you ask them a question, use, use active listening skills to use the language they actually used in answering you to go deeper into what they said based on answering a question of yours. So, um, I should have an example. I don't have one top of head here, but well, basically, actually, could you try to think of one? Because that's something I always struggle with. The active listening thing makes total sense to me, but I, I feel like it's difficult to pull it off without being really obvious about it. Well, I, I so okay, great. Let's do it. I just I don't I don't think that. Well, let's do a role play if you don't mind. Okay, that. yeah. Uh, so um, Ari, tell me a little bit about why you're looking for this um, position for in driving product. Uh, and efficiency in our organization? Well, productivity has always been a passion of mine, and I think that it's something that I'm good at. I, I, I see angles to things that other people don't tend to see where I can create more optimal solutions. Great. Thank you for that. Um, wh so what is it about productivity that became a passion? Was it because it was natural for you, because you see these different angles that others don't see? Or tell me a little bit more about that. <laughs> I get that. Okay. Um, well, uh, basically, I, I think that I, mine came out of necessity because I had a chronic illness that was really making it difficult for me to to work, to, to live, really. So it, for me, it was out of necessity. I had to figure out how to do more with less time. Wow. So it sounds like something that was really tough for you turned into a blessing, huh? Right. Exactly. Yeah.
Well, that's great. So, and, and, and when you started to, so this necessity was there, right? And, and then you ended up discovering that it was a passion of yours. Right. Yeah. Basically I, 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 I got really good at it. So then it became something that I became passionate about. And once I saw the effect that it had on others, that passion grew further. Well, what kind of things did you become good at? Could you tell me a little bit more about that? See, so that's the third yeah, level. That's, that's the yeah. third level there. That's really interesting, actually. That, that, that was very slick. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, you know, and, and did you see how it's not obvious, right? You know, like obvious active listening would be, you know, you saying, uh, and I'm not trying to put words in your mouth. I'm just trying <laughs> to give an example of what would not work, right? Which would be like you saying, Jay, what time is it? So Ari, uh, you're interested in knowing what time it is, right? Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> so that wouldn't work, right? But, you know, you just use their language to drill deeper. We, we know that typically the first answer we get is not going to be the, the whole or full or maybe even um, correct answer. But the more you drill down, um, and there comes a point where it's obvious that it's like ridiculous to go further, right? You know, you kind of get there, but see, I learned a lot about you right there just by, I mean, I knew those things about you already actually, but you know, I, I learned a little bit more about you actually, uh, by just drilling down a little more by using your answer to go further. And that's all it is about is it's keep using their answer to drill down and you'll really reveal a lot about a person. So that's, so that's uh, one thing. Uh, so I, I, I lost track there because that was really good stuff. Did, did, I think you gave me three things, did you? Um, well, I gave you raise your standards and then hire the, the old one we all hear about all the time, right? Hire slow, fire fast. So, like, the higher slow, I mean, just take your time. Really, really do take your time. When you think you want to hire someone on the spot, just treat that as a red flag. Seriously. <laughs> okay? Because... And it may not be a red flag at all. I'm just saying treat it as a red flag. Slow yourself down, right? I mean, um, and uh, definitely have more than, than two interviews, have three interviews. When, when you get to the third interview range, you know, before that interview, collect all the data that you've got into one spot so that you can use all the data that you've been, you know, learning about them in, in the third interview, right? And um, and be prepared to, to give an offer and things of that nature. I would also say to you, never sell or hype someone into your business. In other words, hey, you know what? Working at Real Talent Hiring is going to be a blast. We're a great culture. We really love people. We treat our employees wonderfully. Uh, you're going to get two weeks of vacation that are paid. You're going to get full benefits. You know, we've got a killer coffee machine. You know, I mean, you don't, don't do that. <laughs> I mean, you know, you definitely want to market working for your organization. So a, a web page that is well-designed, that is on your website, that is always trying to find good people, really big. Do that, okay? Put testimonials from your own employees, smiling and happy, why they work there, what they love about it, on that page. So sell from that perspective. But once you get a candidate in front of you, you know, these people are in transition, and typically the grass is greener. If they're already working somewhere and they want to come to work for you, they're in a state emotionally where the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. So anything you do to sell them, they might just be susceptible to that hype or being sold. And you don't want, when someone's in a transition and they probably, because I measure people all day long, so I know this, right? So there's this massive number of people who do not know what they want. They do not know where they fit and they do not know how to get the best out of themselves. 
Okay. So if you came to me with a candidate and I saw that in their report, we'd be having a conversation, Ari, about what to do to interview them the right way to make sure, right? Because they don't know. And if we sell them into it, they might just go, great, thanks for selling me into it. I didn't know what I wanted to do, but you just convinced me to work for you. <laughs> so just that little kind of thing. So take your time, go slow, four, four level deep you know, uh, questioning in the interviews, have multiple people interview candidates. You can even do panel interviews where you bring in 10 candidates at one time. Take an hour, hour and a half, and you or two or three people that work for you, interview all 10 of them at the same time. You know, make them build a newspaper tower, split them up into groups of two or three, watch how they work with each other. You know, you can do real-time games that, that reveal a lot about people. So there's just a myriad of things that you can do to learn more and understand. And, you know, and the frustrating thing about it is even then it's not going to be perfect because there's just too many variables in the world. But it's important enough and it's expensive and it's costly enough to really do your due diligence and, and get, you know, we get good at marketing and we get good at sales, and we become good at productivity, and we try to drive team performance. Really great stuff. Hiring, um, we know it's important, but where do we go to get good at that kind of stuff? There's good books out there, you know, but uh, there's something that you want to really get a good system. You know what system stands for? Save yourself time, energy, money, right? So get a good system uh, for hiring. It'll pay dividends big time. Awesome. Well, Jay, this is this has been amazing. Thank you so much. Um, thank you for those tips. Where can people find out more about you? Yeah, thank you. Uh, RealTalentHiring.com. And you can go there and uh, uh, get opportunity to uh, learn more. And, um, and there's a lot of information on the site that can be useful and helpful for you. And uh, I'd love to hear from anybody I can help. Great. Well, Jay, thank you so much. You're most welcome. Hey, it's Ari again. Thanks for listening to today's show. As I promised at the beginning of the show, I am going to tell you more about the Less Doing Live event in New York City from May 1st through 3rd. Then I will tell you how you can earn a free copy of the Less Doing More Living book. Less Doing Live is an event I am putting on with Business Research Group in New York City. We have designed this event to give you and a small group of Less Doing fanatics a personal quality experience. We are limiting this event to 150 participants in Manhattan to make sure that I get a chance to meet and hang out with every one of you. Now, here's why this event is different. You see, most business conferences are just a series of speeches on a stage where smart speakers get up and give you tons of great information. In fact, it's usually so much that you don't know what to do with it all. But at Less Doing, our community is all about taking action. So I have designed this event to make you take action. But at Less Doing, our community is all about taking action. So I've designed this event to make sure you do take action. Because the only way to make big changes in your life is to invest in yourself. And that's not only an investment of your money, because you can always earn more of that, but rather an investment of your time, which is something so precious, because you can never get it back. So at this event, we're not just going to talk. On the first morning, Dave Asprey and I are going to share with you the latest cutting-edge tips on how to hack your productivity and biohack your body. But then that afternoon, it's going to get really exciting when we break down into small groups and get you into workshops to solve your biggest problems in productivity. What are the workshops going to be? They'll be designed to help you tackle the fundamental problems that stop 99% of the world from realizing their full potential. Getting your email down to inbox zero and mastering your communications with the world? 
or a scheduling class where you can learn how to automate your schedule to the point where you will have a calendar working for you. Or an outsourcing class where you can learn how to get rid of 95% of the things that you shouldn't be doing on a daily basis. We're also going to have a biohacking class that's going to include nutrition and help you master your body and your life. Which one of these classes should you attend? Well, that's where my Less Doing Certified Coaches come in. Before we even let you get to the event, you have to speak to one of our coaches so that we can talk to you and see if the event is right for you. That way we can make sure that we truly help you. So to get to the event, you just need to enter your email and then register to speak to one of our Less Doing Certified Coaches in a free 45-minute coaching call where you will learn the one area of your life that you need the most help with and will get the most impact out of. Now, as a special gift to you for joining this free coaching call, I want to recognize your commitment to your productivity by giving you a free copy of the book, Less Doing, More Living. Thanks for listening.